We're continuing our roundtable discussion with Jonathan Felstein, David Nekrutman, Sharon Sanders, and myself, Robbie Coleman. I have a question that I want to ask either of you guys. What is the one thing that you love most about our Christian friends from the nations and how they involve themselves with understanding their Jewish roots? What stands out to either of you? Well, okay, you're looking at me, so I'll, so I'll jump in. I, I know it's been said, and although I don't get to hear it often, it's worth reiterating. When I have the opportunity to fellowship with my Christian friends, you specifically, but Christian friends in general, it makes me a better Jew. Um, a lot of Jews won't understand that. A lot of Christians might not understand that, to be honest. But I end up in a relationship that whether, whether we want to say we're the opposite sides of the same coin or sharing this uh, same space on the top of the coin, that I'm so blessed to be connecting to people with whom I can speak the same language, who have the same reverence for, for this city and, and, and our God. And, it, it, and therefore representing a Jewish side makes me always feel so grateful that there's somebody on the other side and yes, I'm mindful of the fact that historically, it's not a long time since such, a, such relationships have happened. So I'm grateful for that too. But standing there with, uh, with Christian friends, sitting, having conversations like this, always makes me feel like I'm uh, what we would say, and it's, it's, it's immodest for me to say it myself, but a Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying God's name and making me step out as an Orthodox Jew, doing even as much as I can. Sharon, as a a leader within Jewish Christian relations and heading an organization dedicated to having Christians understand the calling of standing with Israel. What has been the most significant moment for you? I know I'm not the moderators, sorry, but I just want to hear from you. What inspired you to do what you're doing and what has been the major highlights of seeing this calling being actualized in the land? Well, we had no idea when we came here that this was all going to take place, really. Um, what inspired us? Obviously, the Bible. And it was during a time when there was a very important book circulating around in Europe and the United States called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And it, it, it stuck in our hearts, Bible prophecy. Well, if there's anything I want the church in the nations to grab a hold of is Bible prophecy because we see here in Israel Bible prophecy taking place all of the time uh, in regard to Israel and the coming home of the Jewish people and all that that manifests. Um, it sounds like you didn't want to be a bystander to prophetic history. You decided to take an active role coming here to Israel on faith, knowing full well maybe the relationship is not ready for you to interface with our side, the Orthodox Jewish side, or the Jewish side in general, yet you persevered, you, you did what you had to do. There had to be some major highlights that happened throughout your years of ministry here in Israel. Well, first of all, uh, one doesn't do something as drastic as Ray and I did, sell our home, give up our careers and everything we do, and leave the country you were born in and come to a country you're not really acclimated to yet. And so I would say as a call of God, I don't take that as a cliche. I take it as when you have a call on your life, it is something like draws you like a magnet and you can not, you, you can't shake it. 
So when people say, how could you leave your family? How could you go away from America and et cetera? Look, when God is doing the pulling, you obey. And only the call of God will keep you somewhere. It kept us here during all kinds of things that have happened here in Israel in 30-some years. Look, when we started reading the Bible, and in your terminology, I guess it would be tshuva, when we did repentance and we realized that before God we were sinners and we had to straighten our lives up. And of course, as Christians, we came to Jesus. Everything changed. And when we picked up that Bible, it was all Israel from Genesis all the way even through the New Testament to the very end. And I can't, I can't understand today why Christians, when they pick up the same Bible, can't see Israel there. But that was our call. And um, so it was the driving force in laying the foundations of CFI, which is one arm to the church and one, one to Israel. But if there's anything I want to see in this life is for the church in the nations, just as Jewish people are making Aliyah and coming from the northeast, south, and the west— I want to see them come home, too, from the north, east, south, and the west. And not to be two separatists, but not be afraid to cross the bridge and meet each other and learn from each other. And I think that's what we're doing today. And I'm really privileged to be here listening to all of you. Sharon, I just have to interject. You spoke. It's hard to be together like this and not speak about the Bible, either as the Bible or just the the, the common uh, the common scripture that we share. But you referenced the Bible, and just as doing it, you also referenced everything that you and Ray left behind, and how hard to imagine it is and was doing that. But that, as you're speaking it, I'm hearing Ruth, which is what we read now. At, Suk- at Shavuot, at Pentecost, you left everything behind. You followed that calling and, and you didn't just now articulate it in exactly the same formula that Ruth did, but it's the same heart. And I just want to say, and I'm sure David will echo and, and agree with me, what you and Ray have done, everything that you've built here with CFI, for everyone who's watching and participating, has participated for, for decades. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for, 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 for setting that modern Ruth model that we, that we are so grateful for. Yeah, it's the reason why I get up in the morning, because I get to see miracles. I mean, Jonathan and I know this firsthand. For a Christian to overcome replacement theology, that they see that the Jewish people are covenanted, that returning back to Israel has prophetic meaning, um, not everybody does what you're doing. And the courage that took place for you to come here and leave everything behind to do what you're doing. Um, you were one of the first people here in Israel that I had a relationship with because of Rabbi Yaakov. He introduced us. And the conversations we've had over the years, I've just seen so much of what CFI has done in this land and inspires me when it's lonely on our side. Jonathan and I know what it's lonely, how lonely it is to be in the Orthodox movement to do the work that we're doing, I think what we have in common is the lonely road it takes to do this work as pioneers in the modern day in Jewish-Christian relations. So when I see you and I see you, I said, well, these are the miracles. 
do I want to accept the miracle? Do I want to ignore the miracle? So Jonathan and I have said yes. We want to be part of it. And thank God for you. I know if it had not have been <clears throat> for people like Dr. David Lewis, Ray and Sharon Sanders, uh, Dwight Pryor, uh, Derek Prince himself, if it had to have been for people that paved the way, I saw this for a long time, but I didn't see the possibility of the relationship ever coming to pass. But people like Ray and Sharon and these others, they paved the way, they took the hard knocks, and now it's easier. Miss Sharon, you have a question for Jonathan. Well, Jonathan, I know that you're writing a book. I am writing a book. We, at this table of four, we have three people who are either writing a book or have written. So uh, I would like to ask you a little bit more about your book because it has to do with Jewish-Christian relations and special people that you've met in your, uh, your, your relationship building in the Christian world. And uh, why are you writing this book? And, and what's, the, what's the motivating factor for you in, in, in bringing this all out about what certain people that you have met have meant to you? Wow, yeah, it's actually very emotional when you ask me because it's so special and important. Um, the, you and I have spoken over many years about writing books, and I'm so thrilled that you, you've done that. Um, I'm a little bit behind the pace. And I have a whole list of books that I'd like to write. But until last year, when you shared with me that you were stepping down as the active head of CFI, and then our good friend Becky Brimmer mm -hmm. is also stepping down as the, as the active head of Bridges for Peace, I, I prayed about it. I was, first of all, so grateful that you both shared that with me personally. But then I realized, wait a minute, you can't just ride off into the sunset. This must be documented. And we've just begun, and I pray that we will be seeing completion sometime by the end of 22, early 23. And what I have the privilege of doing is, is writing in your words, you collectively, on your behalf, chronicling these fantastic experiences that you've had here. Um, as, as Robbie said before, you and, and Becky and others like you laid the foundation for us to be here, Jews and Christians together. And it's so important as Jews and Christians that we hear your voice, that we hear your, your experiences. And then to build upon that, we are going to invite 15 or so others, Christians who have been here in the land for an extended period of time to share theirs as if physically the building blocks on the foundation that you laid. Now, I know that you didn't establish the foundation. You've, you've told me that you've, um, that you know that you came and stood on the shoulders of others, that you, that others laid the foundation and that's fine, but it's a wider foundation now because of you. And it's so important. And I, when I speak about the book, which, and it hasn't been a lot yet because there's not nothing to share physically when I speak about it, both Jews and Christians get tremendously excited because it's so important. And, and so we're not letting you ride off into the sunset. We're going to chronicle your experiences here in your voice and, um, and be sure that Jews and Christians both have the appreciation and awareness of that foundation that you've laid. And now is our task to build upon. David, I want you to tell us a little bit about your book, Your Sabbath Invitation. I've not read it yet. I've heard about it. This is the first copy I've seen. But uh, tell, tell us uh, 
what brought you to write the book, and, and in a nutshell, what is the book about? So the book is entitled Your Sabbath Invitation. It was inspired by the second to the last verse of the book of Isaiah, which talks about the prophecy that all of humanity will be celebrating the Sabbath. That's Isaiah chapter 66, verse 23. We read this chapter when a Hebrew new month falls out on a Sabbath. And it's one of the oldest prophetic selection of, write, uh, of readings that we read on Sabbath. So let me, let me help some Christians here to understand what it means to have a prophetic reading on a Sabbath. So if everyone goes to Luke or they go to, uh, the, uh, to Acts, you will see that uh, Jesus and Paul enter into a synagogue. And they're reading the law, which would be a selection from the five books of Moses, and they'll be reading from the prophets, which is a selection from the prophets that is read on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. So it's great to have that written document because it verifies a one of the oldest Jewish customs that goes back at least to the Maccabean period, that there was this custom of reading a selection from the five books of Moses and from the prophets. Um, furthermore, Isaiah 66, that chapter, is one of the oldest prophet readings, whether or not you had a trilineal cycle of finishing off the five books of Moses or an annual cycle that took place outside of the land of Israel during the late second temple period. So it should be as significant for Jews that this prophetic um, prophecy of Isaiah is there that one day everyone will be celebrating Sabbath. It also should be for Christians as well. Um, because Sabbath is from the beginning of time. It goes to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Not every single directive has to be an explicit directive from God. You shall keep the Sabbath. If God decided to create an extra day that has nothing to do with the other weekdays because it's a day without chaos that's making into order, which is the first six days of creation, and God infuses that day with uniqueness of blessing and sanctification, which really means that God is providing a more amplified, transparent presence of himself on that day, so you can easily, easily plug into him on that day to reflect on what have we done for God in his kingdom work and what we intend to do for his kingdom in the coming week. Shabbat really makes us more human as we're journeying through our own physical life. So that inspiration made me write this book. In addition to all the Christians for the last 22 years who have eaten at my Shabbat table and have told me personally how Shabbat has transformed their life. Shabbat is really a great preparation for all who believe for the coming kingdom. Yeah, and it's the only positive end time prophecy. Remember, we talked about Armageddon before as we're beginning this segment. Well, not everything has to be doom and gloom in, in the biblical prophecies. The one, one of the real positive end of time prophecy is Sabbath. So I say to Christians, why don't we begin to do this as a redemptive part in Shabbat, not only as a marking a historical moment in creation, but also being a partner in redemptive history. How are you gonna do that if you don't take out the time to adopt the Sabbath lifestyle. Exactly. So when God comes to 
inaugurate his kingdom here on earth, right Which is here, not far from here, not far from here, then it would behoove every Christian out there in the nations to take a look at what is the Sabbath or the Shabbat and begin to learn about what's going to be carried on. Well, and you have a uh, signed copy uh, today that uh, I see your name in it. There's something that's bothering me. It may not bother you guys, but it does me. And that is, I, um, I travel the globe, I receive offerings, I teach about how we should bless Israel. A lot of people know that. If you say, what is Genesis 12, 3, there's so many people that can answer that now. But the argument is becoming, well, who are the real Jews? I've heard uh, there is a group in America, they're called the Black Hebrews. Uh, in the UK, there is a group, uh, they call themselves the um, real Jews. And uh, they say that the Jews that are here in Israel are not real. So my question to you guys, are, are you real? Are you, are you really one of those that can trace yourself back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Or, 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 or am I just a, a fake? Uh, as far as I know, I'm pretty real in our tradition that we're observing. We just need to read the Bible. I mean, it's not, no one's going to jump out of their way. And that's, there's, no, there's simply no um, uh, historical precedent for people going out of their way to follow the, the, the laws of, of Moses um, just for fun. I do want to comment, though, before going into the topic deeper. It's fascinating and a privilege that David and I are your guests today because the t question you're raising is a question that we dealt with er very early in our respective careers where we both got started working for the Israeli Foreign Ministry, where we both were called in our respective ways to serve as bridges, uh, building bridges with Christians. Uh, David in New York and me in Atlanta and, and, I'll, uh, and, and a half a generation before you, but I'll tell you that when I was serving as information officer at the Israeli consulate in Atlanta, these were not foreign questions. These were questions and, and, and tremendous pushback that we got that we're not authentic Jews. We don't have, and, and if we're authentic Jews, we don't have a uh, universal uh, deed to the land here. Um, none of this is unique, although what is unique, and I took away from my college experience is that when I was in college, you would see rabid anti-Israel protest, but there wasn't the level of delegitimization. And when I went to school, I went to Emory, you know, and we didn't have that problem. So I felt, wow, we can make inroads even with the Muslim students and, and, and kind of do an end run around um, any problems on campus. Well, I was young and naive. Uh, it, it, it came to Emory as well. But I'll say this, I pray for those days again, because those days were simple anti-Israel rhetoric. Today we're seeing, we're seeing things that are simply anti-biblical. <laughs>